Well, welcome again uh, to Rally Day here uh, at Lord of Grace. And again, warm welcome, everyone who's worshiping with us online. Uh, Rally Day used to be, once upon a time, it was the day when you would be done tilling the fields. You wouldn't really till in the summer, but you would be tending your fields in the summer, and then you'd come back from your summer labors, uh, and you'd go back to school, and the church would restart Sunday school. Well, we haven't done, I mean, most of us aren't out farming uh, our summers these days, and, uh, you know, uh, we aren't farming these days, and we don't have a regular Sunday school like we used to. It's not an hour between service. Kids chat is kind of our Sunday school now, so they get a 20-minute lesson, but they also get to be a part of the service. So that's kind of what we're doing. I like doing rally day still because it's kind of a get off your butt and get back into doing things mode because I think in the summer, you know, it's hot. We kind of sit at home and you watch too much TV and the internet and, you know, because what are you going to do? Go on a hike in 110 degrees? So I, I think there's still a, va a value to rally day um, to get us back in the swing of things. Now, as you guys probably noticed, I wasn't here last week. I guess my ego hopes you noticed I wasn't here last week. Um, that I wasn't here last week. I, what I was doing last week is I was up at our Lutheran Bible camp. And uh, we do the camp. We don't own our own facility. So we rent the Triangle Y camp up in Oracle for a week. And we were going to do it in June, but some of their staff got COVID. So we got bumped to Labor Day weekend. We did a compressed weekend. I go up there. I'm in charge of the Bible studies. So the groups will come in and I'll do the Bible studies for the elementary and then one for middle school. And when I do the Bible studies at camp, I really like to have the kids spend some time reflecting not just on what the Bible itself says, but a little bit about your own life. How does this interact? And what does Jesus say to you in your life? And it's always eye-opening when I do this to see what's going on in the minds of, I hate using that phrase, kids these days. Um, some things you see, I've been seeing since I was a counselor back in the 90s, some things have changed. We've noticed some trends at camp. Um, one has been an increase in medications. This week it was a lot of allergies. Some weeks it's a lot of behavioral medications. Uh, we've had years when it's like we'll get done with dinner and there's a line out the nurse's station to do all the dispensing. I think we had a year where a majority of the boys were on something. Um, and so we've seen that. Uh, well, another thing we've seen, we've seen an increase in trans kids at camp, uh, something that I do not think would have happened much in the 90s, at least not openly. Um, and I, I take that as a compliment, that they feel like our church camp is a place they can come and feel safe as, and not worry about being bullied, um, being that trans kids are one of the biggest, demo, like the number one demographic that gets bullied in schools, um, and churches don't always have the best record with that. Um, and we also seem to be getting a lot of kids from family situations that are incredibly stressful. Um, not just low-grade stressful, high-grade stressful. Big issues that these kids are coming into camp. And I like to do the best I can in that short amount of time to give some chance to process some things, to, to get here, to, get, to be able to speak their stories, but also to be able to hear that our God is a loving caring, accepting God, not some sort of harsh, moralistic judge who's watching you, looking to wait for you to slip up to send you to hell, because that gets taught, right? 
And, you know, and these kids, they, they know about laws and punishment and judgment. Um, some of these kids, it seemed like the only way they knew how to get attention from adults was by breaking the laws and getting punished. That that was their only interaction, that the adults would ignore them until they did something wrong, and then they'd get attention. And it's not good attention, but it beats being ignored. And so then they show up at camp, and all they do is find every law and break every possible rule they can so that they can get all the adults' attention. And um, yeah, it can take a little bit of your energy trying to do that, right? And so what do we try to do? We try to say over and over, God loves you. You don't have to do this to get people to pay attention to you, and God is not looking to send you to hell, right? But and so one day, I was doing the Bible studies, and I got to the last day, and my theme was kind of focusing on identity. Who does God say that you are, right? Finding our identity in Jesus. And so I, I, I had the kids break up in the room into these little groups of maybe like three or four, and I gave them all a big poster board about like this. I said, write the poster board. It was a bit of an exercise. The first part was to write down what does sort of the world tell you you are? What are the messages that you hear from the world about who you are? Who do they say you are? Um, and what are some of the, and we just, to start out with, what are some of the negative things? Um, I, you know, I thought I'd get a little bit of negativity. I had no idea what I was going to get. I was not prepared for the results. These are some real responses. Can we throw that on the screen? This is a compilation of not all, but many real responses that the kids wrote down. Who does the world say I am? Ugly, dumb, failure, a nobody, weird, bad at sports, stupid, sped, loser, fool, freak, miserable, idiot, toxic, bad, useless, weak, everyone hates you, no one wants you, no one likes you, bum, unbearable, gross, and fat. Pretty much every single one of those had fat on it. That was a very consistent one. This was way more than I was ready for, and this isn't all of them. This is half. I mean, I know kids can be mean, right? I've been on the other side of it. But man, this is brutal. And the other thing is, I didn't tell them just who do other kids say you are. Who does the world say you are? They're, they could be hearing this message from adults. Now, there's some really, really wrong if adults are saying this stuff, whether they say it explicitly or implicitly. This is brutal. Now, the second half of the exercise was to write down, who does Jesus say that you are? And it was a little, I took a little bit of a breather when I saw them write down that in Jesus' eyes, none of these were there. They often would pick the opposite of that word. There was nobody that said, well, Jesus says I'm a sinner, or I'm a, I, Jesus doesn't say I'm a freak, or whatever. So I breathed and went, oh, all right, at least, that, at least that part's good. But holy mackerel, this is what they live with? This is what people grow up with? You know? You hear people say, oh, we'll be so much a better society without God. We'll be, we'll be so good if we don't have that religion. I'm like, this is your idea of a good society? This is what 
is a good person? And I'm sure they would say, well, no, that's not what I mean. And I'm like, but that's what's happening. That's what's out there. This is what they're hearing. You know, whatever happened to all that positivity stuff? You go. You be what you want to be. You live your dreams. Right? But what happened to the inspirational posters? You know, saying this. It's like, it's like our culture is talking out of both sides of the mouth. With one side of the mouth, it's, you know, don't be judgmental. You can do what you want. You know, you know believe in yourself. And on the other side, it's all this junk. What's going on? I have a theory. I know sometimes people cringe when I say I have a theory. My wife cringes when I say I have a theory. She cringes even more when I say I have an idea or a plan. <laughs> but I have a theory. Kids have always been mean. There's always been bullies. There's always been jerks. There's always been people who seem to be more popular because of some genetic trait they inherited towards size or looks or athletic ability or something like that. There have always been people who've been less desired than others because they didn't have whatever those magic traits were. But now we have the internet. And I think it's changed how we value people. That, it, that we've gone from valuing people for their traits to now it's almost like a commodity system, a rating, a score. You see, before, who did you have to deal with? You had the people in your community, right? You had your family, the people in your town, the people you associated with. You had those in the community, and then you had the celebrities. But the celebrities were on TV, and they were inaccessible. There was no way to get from here into the TV, unless you're on Willy Wonka. There was a, that was an impenetrable layer. And the celebrities, we all knew, they don't live real lives. They live in those Hollywood mansions and do their own thing. But now, now, we have Instagram. And you can see the celebrities. You can interact with them, or interact with their social media managers pretending to be them. But you can interact, the, the, you, know, the, you can click on Beyonce's picture. You can like and share, right? You can hit a button, you can subscribe, you can slide into the DMs, which is trendy speak for send them a message. It always sounds so, it always sounds so nefarious, slide into the DMs. Maybe sometimes it is, I don't know. No one slides into my DMs on Instagram. Ooh, that middle-aged white guy, I want him. So you can do this, and you can do this with celebrities, and I think it gives you the illusion that they're a lot more attainable and normal than they really are. That they're a lot more, that, 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 that it's a lot more accessible. And that's kind of the illusion they're trying to give, right? Uh, that I'm both super gorgeous, look at this picture that I had professional lighting people set up, right? And I had a professional photographer with professional lighting. I didn't just happen to be standing on that rock in Sedona and just happened to be wearing a perfect outfit with no sweat at all to get to the top of that rock in Sedona, you know. But that's the illusion. So it's both the illusion that look at how perfectly beautiful I am and how great my life is and on the other hand, how accessible I am. Well, if people are accessible, it starts to get us thinking that this is attainable, that this is natural, that this is normal. And so, and, and so what does it do? It makes the, the, that ever smaller percentage of the population who have those extremely rare gifts of looks and money 
and prestige, and it makes us think that that is what a winner looks like, and it makes a lot more of us into losers. It may not be realistic, it may be all through a filter, but it makes a lot more of us feel like losers, because nobody can live up to that. Not many of us can, right? And what it's done is instead of making us more accepting of differences, it's made us less accepting. It's made us more critical. Now, in some ways, we are better as a society, right? There are certain things that I think we, we are more accepting as. The fact that trans kids can come to a Bible camp and not worry about being bullied, that says a lot, right? There are things we don't say to people that we would have said two generations ago. Some things are better, but it's still okay, I guess, to call people worthless and stupid and fat. Is that a whole lot better? Or have we simply changed where we direct the meanness? We have a world where a small number of people are marketing themselves and becoming an ever more desired commodity, and more and more of us become a less desired commodity. And value, value, our value as human beings becomes something that is commodified, something that can be measured, bought, sold, promoted, and marketed. Right? You market your face, your smile, your travel options. And you measure that value by clicks and likes and the desire of strangers. That's really what you're trying to generate, right? The desire of strangers. The more desired you are, the higher up you are. It's all very unnatural. It's natural in a way, but not on this scale. Which is why I come back to the gospel and I believe that it's so important to teach this because it's important to send a different message out there. That while the world puts a price on you, to God you are priceless. To God your worth is not a compilation of accomplishments and money and looks and likes. It's just because. God loves you and values you just because God does. Because that's what loving people do. That's what a loving God does. He doesn't put conditions on love. I think about how Jesus treated people and how he spent so much of his ministry with people who were outside any sort of system. Prostitutes, zealots, women possessed by demons, homeless people, and the chronically ill. He spent so much of his time with people who'd never get him clicks. And they were not people that even get him somewhere in his time, but they were people that he loved because God loves. And so then he tells this parable, right? They, 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 there's many parables that start with, and Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. A. B. Jesus tells them a parable. This happens a lot. This parable is the one of the lost sheep, right? And yes, we end up with a gospel full of sheep stories because that's where Jesus grew up. I'm sure if Jesus had grown up in Rome, we'd get lots of alleyway and centurion stories or something. I don't know. Um, but right? So how does this go? As I was telling the kids, you have a shepherd, right? And he's got a hundred, he's got his, this, so we've got a hundred sheep, and it's one person in charge of all those sheep. And that's actually pretty typical, because staffing two was hard. So they'd have one person, and the one person would always be on the lookout for sheep that would wander away. And when the sheep would, yes, they could pull the crook, or they'd throw a rock, and I got this one firsthand from a shepherd from Jordan. So 
I got good first-hand knowledge. Well, now he's a Catholic priest in D.C. But he used to be a shepherd in Jordan, and he said that's what they would do. A sheep would go too far, and you'd chuck a rock. And the idea was to throw it over them, and it would hit the ground, and the sheep would go, and then run back. That's why David was so good at, at, at throwing rocks, is because that's what he would do. The sheep would go, and he'd go, and he'd chuck it, right? And you do that, but at a certain point, if they're too far away, you got to make a call. Do I, can I go and get that one and not lose those? And the honest human capital calculation that we make, a lot of the time is cut your losses and let it go because you don't want to risk the 99 for the one. And, and that would be the normal calculation. Herd animals themselves do it all the time. Right? Go on National Geographic, watch those herds of bison going, and there's a little one, and it slips on the ice. The others just keep going, and the wolves, they thrash away. Where's the mama? Where, 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 wait, where's mama bison? Well, mama bison's not going to step out from the herd to save that one. You cut your losses and move on. That's, that's how it should be. And Jesus says, no, 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 God's not like that. God's going to step out and find that one no matter what. Because there is no sheep, there is no one who is of so little value that we cut our losses and let them go and say, don't bother with them. To everyone, to ev to everyone God is that. God is that valuable, values everyone that way. That God will do the irrational and go after the one. Trust the 99 are okay. And why would God do that? Because in God's eyes, every sheep has value. No one is beyond help. No person is not worth the time. In God's eyes, we are not commodities. Our value is intrinsic. It's not determined by a vote or by the desiring of others. And it's a message we need to say over and over and over. The purpose of the church is not to be the place for the people who have it all together to come together and grow. And the purpose of the church is not to be the most together-looking church so that we will attract through desire that way. Because I know places that will do that. You know, a church planter online, he said, no, you want the rich, beautiful people first. Because then people will follow them. You worry about the poor later, he said. And while it may make good business sense, I kind of go, eh, is that really how you want to grow your church? You want to draw people in because it does. Youth groups run into this problem all the time, right? You got the popular kids, the unpopular kids. You try to get them together. I've seen popular kids leave youth groups. It's bad for my reputation. I'm like, well, I'm not going to kick people out, you know, to keep you. If that's how you feel, you're not hearing my sermons, right? The purpose, that's not how the church is supposed to work. That's not our God. God doesn't desire what we desire but desires all of us to have a place in the kingdom. Our value is infinite and intrinsic. And so I say, do you believe it? When we get back to, so when we get back to our work at church, I have to remind myself of why it is we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? It isn't just to be the biggest. I mean, I'd love to grow too. But it's to be the place where God's unconditional love is lived for real and a world of hurting people who are valued the way that they are valued by their creator. Amen.